What's up, everybody? You're listening to World Your Oyster, the podcast where we dive deep into the stories that shape our lives. And I'm your host, Paula Sanders. And today, I want to take you on a journey through my life, a tale of resilience, transformation, and the pursuit of possibilities. My story begins on October 1st, 1987 when I entered this world as the first child of my very busy parents and the first grandchild to my loving grandparents. Growing up in a family of dancers and dance studio owners, I was surrounded by the rhythm and artistry that would shape the rest of my life. My father, a serial entrepreneur, dedicated his time to opening dance schools throughout my childhood. When I was four years old, my parents divorced shortly after my younger brother, David, was born. They separated their businesses which were the dance schools they started together and shared. And this marked the beginning of my life as a child of divorce. Surprisingly, I never saw it as a negative thing. It was really just a part of who I was. My parents both quickly remarried, and I vividly remember attending both of their weddings. Although I felt a hint of sadness, I soon realized that their happiness should be mine as well. Besides, having two families meant more love and more presence on special occasions. And what could be more important to a five-year-old than that? Throughout my childhood, I always had a passion for dancing, but I wasn't talented. That came a little bit later in life. Despite being the first child, the first grandchild, and the first niece, I had a very normal upbringing. Some stories from my family may suggest that I might have been a bit spoiled, especially with the number of toys that I received on my first birthday and Christmas. They'll never let me forget it. But I'm really grateful that these material possessions and experiences as a kid did not shape the person who I am today. As a child of divorce, custody arrangements meant spending weekends with my dad and weekdays with my mom. Both of my parents were really incredible during this time, juggling busy schedules while ensuring they never missed out on spending time with my brother and I. My dad never missed a weekend. And I was with my mom all the time, but I do recall missing her during the week. And those memories of crying for her when she went to work are etched into my mind. And looking back now, I have so much admiration for her strength in pulling away, even when she saw me crying through the window. She had to go to work. There was absolutely no other option. Since my parents had demanding careers, I had the privilege of spending a lot of time with my grandparents and cousins during the summer and on some weekends. Those moments became some of the best memories that I have, riding bikes up and down the driveway, indulging in ice cream, and enjoying the typical joys of suburban life. It was truly magical. Despite my parents' background in dance, they never really forced me to take it too seriously even though my dad owned one of the most well-known dance companies on Long Island. But at the age of eight, after years of watching my dad's company win national titles, I finally felt ready to pursue dance more seriously. Surprisingly, at eight years old, I was technically behind by competition dance standards, and I really lacked any natural talent, flexibility, or grace. And I was not able to pick up choreography quickly. Being the owner's daughter... I was a nightmare in that dance company, but my dad never gave up on me. The moment I joined his company, the real hard work began. 
which was a blessing in disguise because my academic performance was really suffering. I got lost in the second grade and I honestly didn't find myself until I was in college, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but in the dance studio is where I found my passion and my purpose. Over the next few years, I went from being the literal worst dancer in the company to one of the top performers. It required hours of practice, countless dance classes, and pushing through mental and physical barriers. But it was all worth it when I finally won my first regional solo title at the age of 12. That moment really defined my life. It was the turning point that transformed me from a little girl with dreams into a young woman with aspirations. And from that point forward, I dedicated myself entirely to dance. I traveled to Austria, Germany, and Italy to perform in shows before I was even 13 years old. We were also on television, dancing with Paula Abdul on Regis and Kathy Lee. And I know I'm really dating myself with that one, <laughs> but it was a long time ago. And it was really an incredible way to grow up. I got to experience tremendous excitement before I was even able to comprehend what we were actually accomplishing as kids. As I entered high school, uh, I was still incredibly dedicated to what I was doing, but I was also social and uh, a little popular, but my parents were very strict and they imposed some crazy rules on me and I did have a hefty dance schedule. So this sometimes made me feel a little bit isolated from my peers. I missed out on some parties and I felt the weight of extreme responsibility on my shoulders. But nonetheless, I did find myself in love at 17 years old. A relationship that ended in heartbreak. Yet, it was through the pain that I found my solace in dance again. That breakup saved my life because it forced me to step my game up academically so that I could get into college in New York City. Somehow, by the grace of God, I was able to get myself accepted into the Fashion Institute of Technology. I'm telling you, you guys, my grades were so terrible. I think I graduated with a D average in high school. I almost failed out because I wasn't going to gym class. It was a hot mess. Then when I got to community college, because that was the only place that I can actually get into, I actually flunked out my first semester. So I was completely lost. I finally gained the confidence and I started to, to really focus on what I was doing. And I realized that I did have a, have a good brain up there. And that was quite the epiphany for me. So... Moving to the city was a dream come true for me. It's something that I wanted for as long as I could remember. I couldn't wait to leave Long Island and move to the bustling streets of New York City. And I had some grand plans in my mind. I thought I was going to marry someone rich and famous, live the life of one of the housewives of New York, and bask in all of that glamour. So I thought. <laughs> but destiny is a funny way of finding you, even when you try to stifle it. It was during my time at FIT that I stumbled upon their recreational dance team. To my surprise, there was a place where I could go and just dance. There was no competitions. There was no instructors tearing you down. It was a team where you could just go for the fun of it. It was the first time in my life that I really just danced for myself. I was no longer the owner's daughter. And I could just be free to dance and act and look how I wanted for the first time. And it was truly liberating. And I found that passion again because it was gone after the 15 years that I spent in the dance studio. I will say those three years that I stopped dancing, the love was no longer there. But joining this dance team really changed everything for me. It also played a crucial role in my professional dance career because the girls on the team pushed me to audition for the Knicks City Dancers, which is the professional dance team for the New York Knicks of the NBA. 
Out of over 500 women, I managed to secure one of the 23 spots on the team that year. This is also a crazy story and we could definitely get into that audition process if you guys are ever interested, but I was the fan vote. So I literally got in by the skin of my teeth. It was a, it was craziness. The Nick City dancers were known for being sirens. They were known for their talent and their beauty and their height. And I didn't have really many of those things aside from the talent, but I was determined to prove myself. And although I was initially intimidated, I slowly gained confidence and established myself as a valuable addition to the team. However, those years with the Knicks were both the best and kind of the worst years of my life, if I'm being honest. I was having a blast and I made lifelong friends, but I struggled with insecurities about my appearance. The environment that was created by the higher-ups didn't really help either. And my obsession with being thin really took a toll on me. I was doing all the things, smoking cigarettes, taking laxatives. I hardly ate just to maintain the small figure that they wanted. My entire life revolved around being thin and it was really unhealthy. During my second season with the Knicks, I was put on weight probation. Weight probation is this thing that happens to girls on the team when the higher ups feel that you don't look the way that you're supposed to look in a costume. So it was during my second season with the Nick City Dancers when I was put on weight probation for the first time. The higher-ups deemed me too heavy to wear the costumes and prevented me from performing in games. It was truly devastating for me as a 22-year-old woman who literally weighed 102 pounds. But as fate would have it, a day after I got this news, I received a call from a friend and she just said, listen, I'm working on this project. It's for a Latin award show. Come down to audition. And without hesitation, I hopped on a plane. I didn't know, didn't know if I was going to have the job. I was employed with the Knicks, but I was crazy. And I was also feeling really scorned about the whole body issue thing. I ended up booking the job, thank goodness. And for the next few weeks, I worked with an incredible choreographer who made me feel worthy and loved and beautiful and everything that I had been missing with the Knicks. It was truly a transformative experience for me. When I returned, I remember crying on the plane, not wanting to go back to the city and to the Knicks. And I was returning back from missing three weeks of rehearsals. I had to learn like three dances and I was still on weight probation. But my phone rang again and that same choreographer asked me if I would like to join him on tour with the bachata artist named Prince Royce. I accepted without hesitation and embarked on a few months long journey of touring across the US and various other countries, dancing my heart away. I didn't speak an ounce of Spanish. Nine times out of the 10, I had no idea where I was in the world, but it was amazing because I was doing what I loved. It was a, an incredible experience, but I realized when I got home from that tour that that life just wasn't for me. I enjoyed traveling and experiencing the new places, but I craved more control of my life. So I fought the good fight for, I guess, two years in New York City trying to dance. And I booked some really cool jobs. And I also booked some really bad and hilarious jobs. One was um, working for Melissa Gorga from The Real Housewives of New Jersey. I actually choreographed her um her music video when she was a singer. It's called I Just Want to Dance. You could Google it. It's it's pretty funny. And um, I even danced in Times Square in a banana suit. Like there was no job too big or too small because I needed to pay my rent. <laughs> but when I turned 25, my life, my life took a major turn. It all really started when my mother and my grandmother were diagnosed with cancer just a few days apart. Um, it was Mother's Day when they broke the news to us. And 
I'll really, I'll never forget this moment. My mom, she had breast cancer and my grandmother was battling ovarian cancer, which eventually turned into pancreatic cancer. And it felt surreal. It felt like this is the kind of thing that happened to other people, not to us. I was filled with disbelief and confusion and I just kept thinking, how could this be happening? In the following days, I definitely entered panic mode. I spent countless hours shuffling back and forth between the hospitals to see my mom and my grandmother, who were both undergoing major surgeries. It was a really dark and challenging time for me. I felt lost. My, my most loved people were fighting their own battles, and also my dance career had kind of gone off in a ditch. I didn't know what my next step should be. I graduated from college with a degree in advertising, marketing, and communications right before I went on tour. But after that, for two years, I had no professional experience outside of dance. The whole world also changed in those two years with the rise of Instagram. And I was reading job descriptions and I couldn't even decipher what the things were that they were saying in the job descriptions. Like, what the F is a KPI? Don't trip. I know what a KPI is now. But back then, I really, I didn't know what I was going to do. Staying home with my family felt too painful, and I wanted to hold on to my life in New York City. But I couldn't sustain myself financially on a dancer's salary, and I just needed to figure out what was next. So that July, kind of driven by desperation and determination, I walked into the Equinox gym on 63rd Street, and I asked them if I could apply for a job as a membership manager. Looking back, I have no idea why I chose that path. I had zero sales experience, but I did know that I loved Equinox. That was basically the only thing and pleasure in New York City that I could actually afford at that time. So it was really the only place that I had been in New York. But little did I know that when I walked through those doors, that would mark the beginning of an extraordinary journey over the next 10 years in membership sales. I spent two years at Equinox and it was an incredible start and platform for my professional career. They had a very intense training program that prepared me for what was really to come for the rest of my life in this industry? During that time, just after I had finished training and just kind of started working at Equinox, my grandmother was terminally ill and my mother was embarking on a really challenging journey with eight rounds of chemotherapy and everything in between. Thankfully, my mother has been cancer-free for 10 years as of last week, which is so exciting. And sadly, my grandmother passed away that September, which devastated me. She was everything to me and to our family, and her death really plunged me into a deep darkness for a year or so. While my career was doing great, I was absolutely crushing it in the gym membership sales department. It was definitely a tumultuous time. And I met someone who entered my life when I was really at my lowest point. He was broken, and I was broken too. It was far from an ideal foundation for a relationship, but I was seeking solace and love and attention. And at 25 years old, I dove headfirst into a really bad relationship, one that had no solid ground to stand on. Yet, he was promising me the world, and he even gifted me a pair of Louboutins every month. I mean, what could possibly go wrong there? It turns out everything, yep, everything went wrong. <laughs> I was young and naive, and within nine months of dating, I was engaged. I spent another year and a half of my life in a relationship that, looking back, made me question who I had become at that time in my life. I hardly recognized myself, but now that I'm no longer in that situation, I realized that it was a version of me who was lost, someone that was just searching for love and validation due to some unresolved issues from the past. 
I really admire this younger generation. They seem to really have like a clear sense of self and high standards. I, on the other hand, was not that way at 25 years old. I was a hot mess, seeking love in all the wrong places because I had my own unresolved shit. Thankfully, we resolved that stuff. Keep listening. (laughs) And I definitely can't blame my parents or my past for this failed relationship. I take full responsibility for the decisions that I made that led me down that path. It was the first time in my life that I truly felt alone because I was engaged and I didn't want to reveal to my family or to my friends what was happening behind closed doors. But our home was filled with alcohol abuse, constant fighting, verbal abuse, gaslighting. I mean, you name it. That's what I was experiencing at that time of my life in this relationship. My parents definitely hinted that they didn't like this person, but we still moved forward. We had an engagement party, set a wedding date. I even had wedding dresses. But in just the nick of time, my mother stepped in after a few too many martinis and let me know her true feelings about my relationship. And it was the first time where I felt that I could be honest. And she reassured me in that moment that her and my dad had my back and would support me no matter what it took. This was music to my ears because, you know, I had fallen out of love with this person long before this conversation. And I felt so supported and finally able to make the decision that I know that I needed to make, which was to get out of there. And it didn't take too long after that conversation with my mother for me to call off the engagement and cancel the wedding. It was embarrassing for sure, but I felt a tremendous sense of relief. All I cared about was freeing myself from the grasp of a person that really treated me pretty bad. And I can't say that I was blameless in this situation either, but the damage that I caused was far less than what was inflicted on me. And that's just the way that I feel. (laughs) Following that toxic relationship, I was really forced to grow up and take responsibility for my actions and for my life. And I really embarked on a little soul-searching journey from there to understand how I ended up in that situation. I really thought that I kind of like had it together. I wanted to really ensure that this never happened again and make the necessary changes within myself to attract healthier relationships moving forward. This was definitely not an easy process for me. And I can't say that it happened overnight. It definitely took me like two or three years to really understand what I had went through, why I went through it, and what I can do to assure that I never got myself in a situation like that. During this time, I started working directly with the CEO of the company that I was working for at the time, who transitioned me into a sales role. I was working for a luxury lifestyle management firm and travel agency called 400. And moving into the sales role was really a significant turning point for me because he trusted me to sell memberships for his agency. Until then, he really had only trusted himself to do this job and his director of operations. Um, And this period really shaped me profoundly because I was thrust into conversations with some of New York's wealthiest and most influential individuals. And I was discussing luxury lifestyle and travel. I had to be confident. I had to be well-spoken. I really had to know my shit. I also became responsible for the growth of the business. And I was wholeheartedly dedicated to that cause for three years. And these were three truly amazing years that I cherish so much. I have great memories of working with that team and attending events like the Super Bowl and Art Basel and Coachella, following around the elite wherever they went, because that's where Paula should be, right? (laughs) During this time when I was super focused on my career, I did decide to download a little dating app called Hinge during a work trip in the Bahamas. 
At this time, I was enamored with the show Billions and I was dead in love with Bobby Axelrod. So I hopped on this app on a mission to find my very own Bobby Axelrod. So I get on the app, open it up, and I start swiping any man in finance that had somewhat red hair. And into my little DMs on that app pops a message from a man named Nate Berenger. We exchanged a few flirty texts and a date was set. However, due to my chaotic lifestyle at the time, I woke up the morning of our scheduled date feeling um, a bit disheveled. I was covered in peanut butter, naked and alone in my bed. (laughs) I swear to God, naked and alone in my bed with peanut butter. Clearly, I could not meet somebody new while I was in this state, so I had to cancel the date. But fortunately, this Nate Berenger was persistent and we scheduled a date for the next day. And from that point on, everything changed. Nate Berenger, who in fact turned out to be Nathaniel Greenberg, was everything that I had not been looking for. He was intelligent, Ivy League educated, normal, level-headed, calm, handsome, no tattoos, no shady history. There was not a red flag in sight. I was terrified. Who was this Prince Charming and why hadn't I met anyone like him before? Nathaniel and I dated for a year and a half. And I will say it was really kind of easy going from the jump. We did have a little hiccup in the beginning. Um, and that was really more on my part. I had a trip scheduled for a wedding in Tuscany. And I had already asked another person to be my date on this trip. So instead of, you know, explaining this to him, I thought that breaking up with him would be easier, but he did fight for me and we did end up staying together. And I went on the trip with the other person, but, um, I was still with Nathaniel the whole time. And I explained the situation to my date and, um, you know, all was good from there. So we eventually move in together that following July. And around the same time, I also took a new job as head of membership for a very exclusive private members club that was in development for a well-known hospitality brand. March of that year is when the world kind of went to shit and shut down and we were forced to stay home. During that period, Nathaniel and I realized that this would probably be the last time that we ever had the opportunity to spend 24 hours a day together until retirement. So we really embraced this situation and we grew closer than ever. And it was during this time that I fell even more deeply in love with this man, especially after we both experienced our first panic attack together. I mean, that's when I really knew that this is my person fully supportive of me and all of my neuroses. (laughs) That May, we got engaged and it was so beautiful and romantic and we did it during COVID. So it was um, intimate, (laughs) but it was everything I ever could have imagined for myself. And I returned back to work in June of 2021 and it was full steam ahead for me because I was one of the very few people that were involved in that project from the beginning. And my role was a significant one. And Although my experience at Equinox and 400 proved to be relevant, I still had a lot to learn about curating New York's most coveted membership community. So a lot had to be done during that time. And I will say that was like a blur of learning and growing and doing all of the things. But finally, in September of 2022, the private members club that I had been working on for two plus years opened its doors. And not surprisingly, it quickly became one of New York's most successful private members clubs. And I take immense pride in the work that my team and I have done there. I was married in May of 2022 in Sicily, surrounded by our closest friends and family. It was an intimate weekend filled with love and joy and magic and four events over three days. It was exhausting, but it was beautiful. I never felt more loved in my life. 
And in July of the same year, I was promoted to global head of membership at my current job, which again is something that I take tremendous pride in. I genuinely believe that I have the best job in the world and I love every single day of it. So with the dream job, the dream husband, and a very busy social calendar, why in God's name did I decide to start this podcast? Well, for one, I've always loved to talk. But more importantly, it took me 35 years to gather the confidence to use my voice and share my stories. I want to connect my community with the incredible people that I've encountered through my 15-year journey here in New York City. And I want to let everyone know that they're not alone in their struggles and that anything is truly possible. And that, my friends, is the story of how I came to be where I am today. From the darkest of times to the brightest of days, life has taken me on a roller coaster ride. I've experienced loss, heartbreak, moments of despair, but I've also found love, success, and the strength to overcome. Through it all, I've learned that no matter how challenging life gets, there is always hope for a brighter tomorrow. My journey has been a tapestry of moments of growth, resilience, and finding my own voice. And through sharing my story, I hope to empower you, my dear friends, family, new listeners, and old listeners, please embrace your own paths, find strength in the face of adversity, and believe that the world really is your oyster. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to World's Your Oyster. If you love what you're listening to, be sure to like, rate, and review this episode wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow us on Instagram at World's Your Oyster. And share this episode with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Bye-bye.